Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. I'm Mark Sheeran, and and I didn't come prepared because my coffee is over there in the desk, so I'm going to go grab it. So go get it. (laughs) What we're going to talk about today is, is something that troubles us. And we actually rode into work together this morning and had this discussion. So we were like, this is a great podcast episode. Um, As tragic as this situation is. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it without giving away who this is or anything like that. But we'll we'll uh, call her name just to make it easy. Let's call her name. What Jan? Yes. Okay. Okay. So so we've been talking to Danny had been talking to this family Um, and their daughter who's in her twenties, um, it was a referral from somebody that we know and their daughter who's in her twenties has been in and out of rehabs for a number of years. I think, I think she said five rehabs, Yeah, five rehabs, but she's been in a rehab for about the last year. She went from the detox to the rehab to the sober living. Okay. And so she's kind of caught in that shuffle. We all know about that shuffle. Okay. And supposedly it was supposed to stop, but it's still going on. And, and so she's been in it a long time while this last time she took off uh, with somebody else from the sober living and they went and got high um, and she overdosed. 
And thankfully, the person she got high with um, called the ambulance and they couldn't bring her back with Narcan. Okay. But they did end up saving her life, um, I think, with an AED machine, a defibrillator. And she was all set to come here. But she ended up back in the the St. Jude retreat. To the St. Jude retreat. But she ended up back in the detox because they needed some place to bring her. And because that was where she'd been. Now, I don't think this is the first time she had overdosed. And she's been doing this rehab shuffle thing for many years. Um, And what happened is what typically happens in these cases. She went back to that same detox. The detox provider owns the rehab and also owns the sober living. And so, and they're also recovery folks. So they have you kind of locked into the system, the AA recovery rehab system. And so she went back to this detox and basically once again, she was told that, well, you just weren't working the program good enough. Yeah. It's your fault. It's your fault that you almost died. It's your fault that that you went back to because you didn't do what you were told, what you were supposed to be doing. And and a lot of you out there have had this done to you where you just haven't worked the program hard enough. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you may have to go through the steps again. You may have to do more therapy. Um, you're a special case. You're a chronic relapse. Chronic relapse. So you're um, constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourselves. That's taken directly from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So they 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 convinced this girl now mind you she was set up to come here which is completely the opposite message and that is that you're not broken that you're capable of moving on and and all the stuff you guys know from our previous podcasts and and work and and the book obviously so we dismantle treatment endlessly it's such an easy target because of of the nonsense like this the tragic nonsense that they teach people and and so I want to talk about, though, how they convince people to do this, because here's something that hasn't worked five times over. The person's OD'd. Their life is hanging in the balance. Yeah, so scary. They've spent probably over 100 grand as a family into the treatment system, Uh, and the girl keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and nobody's really questioning this. So how is it, how is it that we have convinced parents and the person themselves? Now, this girl actually said after she had been, uh, after she talked and had an, uh, an interview with this lady, this lady is now her savior, her, her words, her savior. Um, how, how is it possible that you could convince a human being to keep doing this? Well, we see it all the time. Many of you out in the audience, myself included and Michelle included, we just kept trying and trying and trying and trying, saying, you know, if I just, and here's, here's how they do it. If I just look at the consequences and how bad it was, I'll yes, stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I, I have to be crazy to keep like dealing with these negative consequences. I have to be crazy. I have to be suicidal to want to go get high again after it almost killed me. And then you go get high again. Yep. And then they say, it's your fault. And they say, you haven't, you got to keep it green. You got to keep it in the forefront of your mind, just how bad just it is how bad it endlessly. Is. And so you do, you go through this negative feedback loop where you're doing that, doing that and doing that. And then you get high because it's a relentlessly miserable thing to constantly look at the costs and shame and guilt. And then 
you go back to drinking and drugging. But here's here's the linchpin. Nobody is looking at why the person goes back. Right. Nobody is saying, well, what 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 do you see in that experience? Why would you, after those consequences, why would you go back? Now, I spent the last 33 years of my life studying this phenomenon, and we came up with an answer. The reason that people fail in treatment is because treatment literally creates recovery distractions from doing what is necessary internally to stop a heavy substance use issue. What they do is they create a battle and they create a focus on negative consequences, fear and guilt yep. as a motivator. It's supposed to motivate you to stop. And so they harp on this and they hammer it. They relentlessly, like a jackhammer, pound that into your brain that you are totally fucked if you don't believe in your misery as a way to motivate you away from the drugs. The problem is... Hmm. Fear and consequences are incredibly brief motivators in the human condition. And that is because we are completely motivated by the pursuit of happiness. Right. It's it, totally what they do is totally against human nature. So anytime a solution to any problem is counter to how humans think and are driven it's doomed to failure. That's why if you sell a product, as an example, based on a negative, it won't sell as good as if you sell it based on a positive, right? Now, you can compare to your competitor, like the car industry does it all the time. Yeah. You can compare to the competitor to give it a relative value. But then they immediately, they don't, they don't go to Ford sucks, Ford sucks, Ford sucks, buy Chevy. <laughs> right. They don't do that. They say, Ford sucks, buy a Chevy. Here's why. A Chevy is better in all these categories. I, I'm not, I, I don't care about Chevy or Ford. I'm just using this as an example. Right. You know, look at any advertising and, and invariably it will harp on human nature, which is to find some relief, solution, some happiness, some positive experience. Yes. Um, now they might, they might look at a negative first, but it's brief. Because if you harp on the negatives, it, it's going to turn a person off and they're just going to shut the channel off. So that's what people do in rehab. They literally yeah. shut the channel off and they're sitting there listening to the counselors berate them, tell them how much they should be. They're literally writing lists of consequences and all this shit. Meanwhile, in the back of their mind, they're literally pining away to go get fucking hammered because that's the perceived benefit of getting high. They're going to look out in the landscape and go, this rehab recovery sucks. I, I, this is horrible. They spend but, their whole time feeling deprived, feeling that they're missing out because those benefits are intact because that's all they can think about is the benefits of being drunk or high. This is why rehab doesn't work because the methodology is the opposite of a, of a solution. Now, but it's not in the opposite of a solution for the rehab to make money. Right. Okay. It's actually a very good model for the rehab to make money. Right. Who wins? Who wins in a rehab scenario? Who wins? The rehab, the house. Because the odds are that the parent out of fear and being hammered with consequences and costs being drilled into the parent's head 
you know, your son and daughter is going to die. They're going to die. They're going to die is going to shell out the cash. And it's cooked in that relapse is part of this. They, they fail so often that they've actually made relapse the norm. They've normalized pain. And then they go to the extreme. So the bar is set so unbelievably low. Starts at, you're going to die, die, die. Oh, the best you're going to do is be in a miserable recovery filled with relapse. And you need treatment for the rest of your life. Shushing, shushing, you see? And then the credit card gets swiped. And families are then immersed in this painful, fearful, guilt-ridden, sort of uh system recovery system. Yeah. recovery yeah, treatment system yeah and look at this is Better. not just just so just so we're clear here um we only have four rooms to fill here at the retreat this is not that we lost a customer it isn't right it's that my concern is um that this that this young woman may be running out of chances and not uh, she may look at, there are people that go to rehab, leave that experience and change. Oh yeah. That does happen. Yeah, it's it a happens, 5%. It's a small percentage of people. Yeah, it's Actually, it's probably 5% of the people that go to their aftercare plan to meetings. But I think there's a little bit larger percentage of people that just leave and go, I don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> and I was done with my heavy use anyways. Right, and right. so I'm just going to move on with my life. Right. I know that's a, a big population. Yeah. Right? I know a guy right now that I talked to just yesterday who did that. Yeah. Where they just are like, yeah, I just decided, oh yeah, that I was being stupid. I, I don't want yeah, the ritual of going to the rehab gets the credit when the reality is they already quit. They were done. Yeah. They were done when they went to rehab. So, and we cover all that in chapter two of our book. Yep. Um, There's research behind that. Yes. Our book is called The Freedom Model for Addictions for those who may be listening to this podcast for the first time. Yes. Um, and so that's, so that's uh, my concern for this young woman because she started in the treatment system very young. And I think it's a little bit of an irony, okay, that the treatment system talks about teenagers and young people as being so, you know, if you use drugs the first time when you're a teenager – you're going to get hooked right away because you're so impressionable and vulnerable, but they don't equate it with, we're going to tell you that you're powerless and diseased when you're 16 years old so that you can feel broken for the rest of your life, which, oh, by the way, is probably shortened because you have this belief system that you're permanently broken and powerless. I mean, that's how serious what we're talking about is. So for me, you know, both Mark and I were really fortunate that we, escaped escaped the system but it, we but did. we paid a price i mean we it was did. it was 20 years or more of our lives were invested in the cult of treatment yeah. the cult of recovery the cult of aa the cult of 12 steps all of it is predicated on on you not thinking for yourself and not moving in a positive direction but being fear based that's yeah. that's what a cult is that's why i call it the recovery society we we've gone down a path that is so destructive to people and and here's the the crazy part is when somebody comes to the St. Jude retreat here in this office, my office is right over there. They sit in a chair right over there. Um, and I'm talking to them. I go, do you know that that you like getting high and that that's OK? And but it may be based on a lot of uh, perceived benefits that aren't really there. And you've been taught a bill of goods that's just not true. So we have to figure out what isn't true about your positive drive. 
your positive drive to get drugs, your positive drive to get high, your positive drive to live this lifestyle has bad consequences, man, tragically, but, but your positive drive. And let's examine that. Let's examine that. And they're like, they're like, oh my God, we're going to talk about that. Yes. You know, they're shocked because in rehab, you won't talk about that. You just, you shouldn't oh, think no, that. Oh, no, no. You can't talk about what was good about it. Right. Because, yeah, because nothing was good. You got to rewrite your history. Nothing was good. It was all bad. And it's like, nobody gets addicted to something that's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, that there's no benefits in doing, that's right? exactly right. So it's just absurd to think that way. But to, to Mark's point, the, the 20 somethings that come in here, here into okay. the retreat into yep. the saint jude retreat and the ones that we i've i've worked with a couple on private instruction they are so open and so it's even if they've been to rehab like five or six times they're open and they're they're more honest don't it's, you think that yeah, i totally i i give me give me a 25 year old heroin using kid who's been on the street for a year yeah right? and everybody in the treatment industry is like oh, oh my god they're the worst. those kids they're oh, the worst no. it's so tragic and i'm like give oh that my kid. god they're so great <laughs> because because once you they're they're me that was me, me too. i was i was 19 maybe but, that's why maybe that's why i'm like but but they hungry. Have, they're hungry for truth and truth isn't that far from the mouths of babes yes so, so they still know the truth they, they still, still believe it they're still rallying their forces going at rehab are you fucking serious yeah like this doesn't like, make this, any sense none of this makes any sense yes. <laughs> yeah and they're like you and me where we were like uh i, I don't, don't i don't think i have a I don't disease get it. like yeah. i don't get it yeah. i would raise my hand i don't get it <laughs> yeah they're like, yeah, are you being a bitch? I'm like, no, I, I'm literally don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, I'm not powerless. I, I can take it or leave it. And and so I mean, I can remember saying, so what is gonna make me drink if I genuinely don't want to drink? Well, you don't know. No, no, I'm asking the question. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. what there is something gonna make what is gonna make me drink if in my own mind, I genuinely don't want to, like, I could not wrap my mind around that whole concept. Yeah. I'm drinking against my own will. Even then, like, I, was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. So, and they don't either. They don't either. They're like, no, I'm doing this because I want to do it. And I, because I really love it. Yeah. And you can work with that because then yeah. you can challenge those uh, preferences and come to some uh, grip with reality that the drugs aren't all they make them out to be. Yeah. Uh, and then you change a preference based on those facts. It's actually quite simple when you get there, but, but you have to have a starting point that's based in reality. And that is that you like it. And that the only thing that's going to change that is some sort of positive motivation. So rehab does the opposite. It creates these horrendous lies and distractions from making that direct preference change from analyzing why you like it so much. So they avoid the topic completely. Now, the question is fundamentally, mm -hmm. why, why would a treatment center or why did the industry go in this direction? And the answer is because of control. Yes. It's very, very easy to control fearful, fearful people and vulnerable, fearful people are, are your best customers because you can bilk them for hundreds of thousands of dollars if they have it, sometimes millions of dollars. And so the treatment industry figured out a long time ago, Bill Wilson figured out in the 30s, who was the creator of this nightmare that we're living now, um, 
they figured out very simple. If you fear people enough, if you make them fearful, if you fear monger them, um, suddenly they become pliable and uh, they become consistently compliant, right? They become compliant patients. They become quiet. They will, they will sit fearfully and listen and you don't have to do a whole hell of a lot of work. You don't have to analyze anything. You can just say, just think about how bad it was, Tommy. Right. Just think about how shitty it was. And Tommy's thinking, I already think that. I, I already, I got the, uh, trust me, I OD'd last week. I, I think I'm not stupid, right. you know, but I must be crazy because no matter how much I think about that, I go back to it. And then the rehab will say, of course you do because you're an addict. Well, and then, but what else do they do? And then they start looking for, there must've been some trauma. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then- there must be some underlying issues that keep you going back to it. And, and I, you know, n- no, can we, th- it, this is one of those, one of those situations where, where the, the most obvious answer is the answer. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. and it's that there's something I still like about it. People don't, people don't use drugs and drink alcohol heavily for trauma until they're taught to do so. Right. It, there's no uh, instinct to do that. You have to be taught that because there are cultures. We know this as sociologists. There are there are many cultures, dozens, hundreds of cultures, right, throughout the world where there are millions of people who live in abject poverty and massive, massive amounts of stress based war-torn on war-torn countries, war-torn countries, civil wars, genocide. Um, lack of food and water, heavy disease rates, high inf- uh, infant mortality rates, all these stresses, and yet they don't get high and drunk. Nope. Right? And there's access to booze and drugs all over the place. So so the question Yeah, a lot is, of these countries provided around the world. Yeah, yeah, a lot of South America, for instance, makes the cocaine, and yet they don't use it. A large pop- portion of the population doesn't use it, and yet it would be cheap for them to use it, right? So, so that's an example. Um, but there are many, many, many ways that we could look at this. But I started to study that probably, I don't know, midway through this whole project is when I realized it doesn't make sense because there's all these hundreds of millions, if not billions of people that live in these difficult scenarios, and most of them don't get high and drunk. So how can that be? So now what we've done as an industry and as a culture is we've medicalized normal stresses. Yes. And, and when I mean normal is, is abuse normal? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of there, right? I've, I lived with it in different forms. She lived in different forms. Um, I would say that my past had a high trauma score. If mm-hmm. you were to score it. Mine too. Um, and really until my family came along when I was a little kid and started saying, you're going to get high, you're going to get high, you're going to get high. And then I did. And then I framed it that way. So we're creating addicts and alcoholics that the, the quotes, you know, so the treatment industry has been, and our society has been amazingly efficient at building this control model. That's why we call ours the freedom model. Through building fragile people That's for right. convincing people that they're fragile and weak and, and that, that it is a matter of weakness, right? It is a matter of weakness. Not. It is not. not, it is not. So, so yeah, this, this, made us both um really sad i'm i'm hopeful that that if 
you know, either she's going to be one of these people that spontaneously changes, which the, the, every time she goes to rehab and fails, the chances kind of diminish for that a little bit more each time. Um, when, when you learn, you know, you, you, each time you go to rehab, you do what you're told. You stay in your sober living. You go to your meetings. Maybe you even, um, you know, get a get a coffee commitment at a meeting. Or, I mean, we've known people who've done everything right. They'll, you know, and then they, you know, she, you, you meet someone and you take off together or whatever to go get high together. Well, the plan was already in motion to do that. Because the preference in your mind was never challenged. Never. It wasn't even looked at. As a matter of fact, your desire based on the happiness value you see in getting high was never even mentioned. So it stays like this icon, this bright, shiny disco ball in your mind. And when you go to treatment, it gets put on a shelf. And eventually... Go ahead. Because I was just going to say it gets put on a shelf, but not really. Right. It gets put on a shelf in your mind. In your mind. Meanwhile, you're looking over here at at a distraction called recovery. I'm doing all this stuff, but this thing is pulsing, bright, shiny. And then the opportunity happens and you grab that fucker and you run out and you go do it. But you see, it's on the shelf. But one of the things the treatment does and the recovery world does is not only it doesn't doesn't leave it there on the shelf. It actually builds it up for you. That's a great point. They build right? it into a powerful icon. They do. That like this, you can't go, can't go past the house you used to do drugs at. You can't be with the people that you used to do drugs or drink with. Um, because it was like it was all bad, but on the other hand, it's so alluring because it's so wonderful, and you're never gonna feel as good as you did when you were high. That's just something you have to live with for yeah, the rest of yeah. your life. Your brain, your serotonin, dopamine is depleted and you'll never be happy again without the drug. And the best you can do is a life sequestered and limited by recovery because you're a sick person. Yeah. And I'm saying it condescendingly because that's how they say it. That is it, how they it, say it. It makes me sick. Um, you'll none- never feel as good as you did when you were high. That's complete and utter shit. Right. You so need to what, know that. So what you did is you made that icon, that disco ball of brightness, this, your, your preference for the drug, massive, massive. And then they say, we know recovery is hard. And meanwhile, this thing is pulsing bright. It's the only shiny object because they just defined it that way. Yeah. And they say, just, just stick your head in the sand and hope for the best one day at a time. And while and- you're serving people and bringing people in and saving people you know you're you become part That's of right. the machine That's the right. recovery treatment machine and of and, recruitment yep of recruitment and the more you struggle the more you've got to be dug in and you've got to give yourself over to this simple program yeah completely give yourself over to the simple program that's a line straight out of aa do you know how cultish that is do you know that that is a cult yeah okay so the recovery society is this massive massive cult that takes your individuality, toss, is ignore, ignores it, marginalizes it, ignores it, and then says, you really are a minion of your circumstances and, you, and your, your genetics, this is all lies, your genetics, your mind, everything conspires against you. Like there's all these nebulous, weird forces and monsters that are out to get you, uh, all under the guise of addiction. None of it's real. It's just you have a preference, but it becomes real. And that's what's happening to this girl. She's succumbing to these ideas and wondering, I'm never going to be okay. I'm never going to be okay. And oh yeah, I failed. 
I failed. It was, it was me. I, you know, and so, so that's, this is where it literally hurts my heart that, that she has been convinced that she's so broken that she's so broken and that she's the one that's the problem Um, that she's, it's not that she's gotten the wrong information. It's not, it's, it's like giving somebody, um, you know, chemotherapy for a cold and the cold doesn't go away. And you know, the person with the cold is thinking, Oh, I just didn't do it enough. It's, you know, I I use an analogy in class that, that resonates with some people. And that's um, you have a car. It's winter time. You're out in the Great Plains and the wind is howling and it's ice cold out, 30 below and a wicked blizzard. And you run out of gas. But you're not a mechanic. You don't understand how cars work. So you're on the side of the road with flashers going, but the battery's slowly dying and you're starting to freeze. Somebody rolls up. And this would be the treatment manager, right? The yeah. owner of the rehab is the scenario. And they say, hey, I see you're cold. Pretty desperate, huh? Yeah, I, there's not a city for hundreds of miles. My cell phone doesn't work. I'm, I'm freezing to death. My car doesn't work. My car doesn't work. I don't know why. Oh, you need to check the air in your tires. Here's a tire gauge. And if you check the, all you have to do is check it. Hit that little valve, check the tire. If it's 30 pounds or better, let, let, here, I'll even do the first one. Oh, 32 pounds. Good. You're, you're one, one third, one fourth of the way there. Just check the other three. You should be good to go. Hit the starter. You go. Take care. And they drive away. You check the tires, you hit the starter. Now the battery's dead. Nothing happens. You're freezing to death. And then you keep doing it. And each driver that comes up gives you, you need spark plugs. Oh, you're going to have to walk down to that store this time. I know it's cold, but you're going to have to walk. I can't give you a ride. I'm sorry. I can't give you a ride. You got to do this on your own. This is your journey. You need to do this. You need to do this for yourself. And so now you're freezing to death. Your shoes are turning to ice. You go to the store, you get the spark plugs, you find out how to do it. You put the spark plugs in, your hands are numb, they're claws, you're getting, and so the point is, this happens over and over and over. Eventually, they have you convinced that you needed to rip the roof off, flatten the tires, pull out the spark plugs, and hope for the best, because that's all the best, and huddle in a blanket in the corner of your car, and hope that spring comes, and then you die. That is recovery. Yeah. That is recovery. Endless lies being told to parents and their families all under the guise of fear, guilt, so that they have control, not because rehabs are malicious. No, and, and most of the people that work in them are wonderful people who Just, think that they're helping. They believe that if you check the tires and rip the roof off and go on this journey that you're going to get well. They believe that shit. Yeah. They believe it. Yeah, so look at. Yeah, we were a little bit emotional in this one because it it, hits very close to home and we have our kids are in their 20s Um, and and we lived it. I was stuck in treatment for 18 months. Yeah. And came out and almost shot myself. Exactly. And and I was convinced when I was young that I had mental illness and that. You know, I was dual diagnosed and my prognosis was terrible. And you were suicidal for months after we met you. Yeah. It took a long time to undo that. Yes, I was. I was. I seriously contemplated suicide probably from the age of 17 to the age of 23. Yeah. So, you know, that's all a result of the nonsense you were told. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't somebody that talked about it. I didn't go telling people that I was suicidal. That was the last thing I wanted anybody to know. Um, and so, so it's, 
I was utterly convinced that I was broken for so long. And even after I got sober, so to speak, even after I stopped everything, I was still convinced on how broken I was. I felt broken. I felt like I didn't have control um, over my life overall, even, even with all the evidence that I had stopped these things. Um, so, oh, Mark's going to grab the book. Yeah. Cause we're coming up on the half hour already. Right. It went by very fast. <laughs> so look at, look at we're yes, we are. We're, we're very frustrated with the treatment industry. We're very frustrated with recovery. Um, I don't, I specifically don't like to see young people stuck in it. Well, I, it's, it's how young people die in this system and, yeah. and it's so needless. Yeah. It's just needless. And having lived through it and having been told with the, with the counselors and their condescending tone, how wrong I was when honestly, as a 18 year old boy, I was right all along. I was yeah. rallying against the, I was mandated into treatment because I almost killed some people drunk driving and this whole thing happened. And I was right. I just needed somebody to tell me that, yeah, what you're thinking isn't crazy, Mark. You really can get past this and move on with your life. And once somebody told me that, my life took off like a rocket ship, Yeah. you know, from totally suicidal and basically homeless to completely successful in basically every endeavor I did for the next 10 years. Yeah. You know, what a, what a wonderful thing. And now I have three grown children. I have a, you know, 21 year marriage. I have all this awesome stuff that in my nobody life. told us we could ever have. Yeah. I, I was doomed at 18. They told me that I was absolutely going to be institutionalized the rest of my life in some way, shape or form. Yep. And, uh, and limited in my scope of being able to handle life's troubles, like some fragile, broken doll. And, uh, I'm anything but that. Yeah, me too. So, me too. So, um, oh, so, there's our book. So this this podcast, I'm I'm showing the book. It's the Freedom Model for Addictions: Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. Um, we wrote it and published it in 2017. It's it's all over the world now. Um, I'm showing this because I want this podcast to be to be brought to parents and to people stuck in the trap. Yes. I'm hoping that it'll get shared. If you know somebody specifically, I hope it gets shared with those people in the mill, right? That, that are living the experience that we lived and as a way to show them, look at, you don't have to come to our retreat. That's not the point. No, re re just read the damn book. Just read the book. And, and there's a, there's a family book, yeah, do we which have, I've given yeah. them all out. So I don't have a copy of it okay. here. It's called the freedom mother for the family. Um, you know, let people know they can get it on Amazon. It's in Kindle version. We don't have an audio book yet. That's been delayed. Um, but, but we will be having, I do want to get it done before the end of the year. Um, and just let people know, you know, you, you have really nothing more to lose by getting out of the system and trying something new. And you have a lot to lose by staying and doing the same things over and over again um, and and watching your loved one get worse and worse and worse. It's not their fault. No, don't, that, bu that, don't buy into that. That part isn't their fault. The part that's their fault is that they like to get high and, it, and their preference has remained unchecked because they've never been taught to how to check it, how to challenge it. That's never been done with them. That's why they're struggling. So they assume that heroin, drinking, meth, whatever it might be, is their only answer to happiness. And yes. until that gets checked, until they, one, identify that they love it, why they love it, how they love it, and then 
can we challenge that love? Yes. Right. Can we all challenge those things that the they perceived thought benefits? It, they think it's doing for them? All of the, even the pleasure that you get from it, a lot of times becomes kind of, you almost ignore when it starts to get boring because you still are reaching for those benefits. Yeah. You're still living in the fantasy that it's going to feel the same way it did when you first started. And that fantasy is long gone, yep. but the fantasy is enough. Hope is enough to keep you using for decades. Sometimes we deal with that all the time, but, but you want to use on steroids, go to treatment a few times yeah. and they convince you that you're absolutely destined to do so. And that recovery sucks just as bad, if not worse than getting high. You've just created a perfect negative feedback, negative feedback loop. Uh, and you're, that's the trap. That's the recovery trap. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So All I'm right. sorry that this might be, this one might be very emotional and, and kind of a, a downer of a subject, but. But there but, is a solution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the good news is you can get out of it. Yeah, you really can. And, and you can move on your son or daughter, your wife, your spouse, whatever you can move on and it's wonderful. It really is. So thank you everybody. Um, if you are struggling or you know somebody who is, I recommend calling, call 888-424-2626. Um, you can check out all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. All of our online products are available at online.thefreedommodel.org. And if you want to learn how you can come to the retreat and work directly with Mark and I, um, you go to soberforever.net. That's soberforever, one word, dot net. Yep. So call 888-424-2626. And Sober Forever, by the way, that website uh, highlights the retreat, which is the St. Jude Retreat, which we've been running for 33 years. Yes. All Thanks, right, everybody. everybody. Bye. Take care. Hey everyone, Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question-and-answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International monthly newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today.